Hello and welcome to the Browns Blitz. Today is Wednesday, August 12th, and this is episode number 63. I'm your host, Rod Bloom, and joining me today is Doug LaMaurice. Doug, how are things going for you? Busy. Busy is how busy. it's going, but as we were yeah. just discussing, it's good to be busy. Yeah, I really appreciate you joining me, uh, not only to talk some Browns, but uh, we're going to we're kind of going to do something a little bit different talk some Buckeyes too sounds great thanks for having me yeah yeah definitely um first of all Doug you uh let's get the introductions out of the way you you write for uh, cleveland.com so uh, people can find you on twitter uh and find your stuff at cleveland.com and your your podcast uh which which I've been checking out is um it, the name was just Buckeye Talk, right? Correct. And that's um, you have a separate account for that at Buckeye Talk Pod. Correct. And that's pretty much everywhere. I, I heard that on Spotify. So you guys doing you do a nice job, very nice job with that covering the Buckeyes. So um, with everything that's happening, people should definitely be checking that out. It's long and it's loud. So if anyone listens to it, be prepared. We can't shut up, and I like to scream. So, just as a warning. But yes, we'd well, love to have anybody give us a listen. <laughs> if you're a fan, you don't mind long and loud. Yes, it's a good way to go through life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I like to start with with my guests uh, by letting them talk a little bit about their their fandom and you being a writer. Uh, covering the Browns and the Buckeyes, uh, you know, maybe this is a little bit different for you because uh, uh, a lot of writers try to be impartial um, in that. So I don't know if you get to talk a lot about, you know, where your fandom's been kind of through the years and where you are now as, as a fan when you're not writing and when you're not actually covering these teams. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to give you the floor to kind of let you talk about, um, and you can, you know, you can talk, talk Buckeyes too. I, I know you live in Columbus. Um, I see, I see, um, on your profile, you live in Westerville. I, I lived in Westerville as a kid, kind of interestingly oh, enough, a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, just kind of talk some, some Buckeyes and maybe Browns and just kind of, um, whatever you want to pass along, you know, as how your fandom has progressed over the years. Yeah, so I was not a fan of the Buckeyes, not a fan of the Browns at all. Um, I grew up in Pennsylvania, so uh, I grew up about two hours from Philadelphia. So I was a, I was a fan of all the Philadelphia teams mm-hmm. growing up. You know, my dad was a huge sports fan. He was originally from New Hampshire, so he was a fan of the Boston teams, the Celtics and the Red Sox. Um, but then, you know, just just was a kid who loved the local teams. So that was all the Philly teams and. Um, the first pro team I ever covered then was the Philadelphia Phillies. I was the beat writer for a newspaper in Delaware for four years with the Phillies. So I have had the experience of sort of, that was my favorite team as a kid. I was a baseball fan first. They were my favorite team. They won the world series when I was seven and then I covered them and it's just an interesting experience. And I think there probably are sports writers in Ohio who've gone through that, where you end up covering the team that you were a fan of growing up. And then, 
just coincidentally, uh, for three of the four years that I covered the team, Terry Francona was the manager. Um, and so yeah. then when I came to Ohio, though, no association at all. I just came for the job. It was a great opportunity to cover Ohio State. So we moved here. I was working for the plane dealer, hired by the plane dealer, but they wanted me to live in Columbus. So we've lived in Columbus area in Westerville since 2005. And I'm mm-hmm. not a fan of the Buckeyes. I'm not a fan of the Browns. But I think what I think what I definitely have realize that I've become over the years and especially now that we have a a tech subscriber service where I'm constantly texting and talking with Ohio State fans. We are doing a five days a week podcast on Ohio State where I'm constantly interacting with fans. I had my takes by the lake podcast that's on been on hiatus for a while, but I'd I'd like to get back to doing podcasts on the Browns, being Mm -hmm. around Browns fans with more of the Browns coverage I'm doing. I'm a fan of fans. So I don't have a knot in my stomach when the Browns are in the red zone down by four with 30 seconds left. Mm. I don't have a knot in my stomach when Ohio State picks up a fumble and runs it back against Clemson and the, and the refs run it back. But I understand that I'm serving people who do. I understand that I'm serving, that I'm writing, that I'm covering on behalf of people who, who are living and dying with every play. And so I, I try to keep that in mind. I've really learned that over the years. I think I try to keep that in mind a lot. That doesn't mean pandering. I think some sports writers pander to fans. I'm not yeah. going to say stuff about your team just to make you feel better if I don't think it. But I'm going to try to hold teams accountable on behalf of fans. I'm going to try to celebrate those teams' successes on behalf of fans. And so I personally don't care what happens to Ohio State and the Browns. But I care how the people that I interact with, the people that keep me employed, I care how they feel. So then sort of, you know, in a detached way, I do care because if a team wins, I'm the team that I cover wins. When Ohio State won the national championship in 2014, I was happy for the players and the coaches that I thought were good people that were part of that team. And I was happy for the people who read The Plain Dealer, who read Cleveland.com, who listen to Buckeye Talk. I was happy for them because I realized how much it matters to them. Yeah. So are you still a fan of, of the Philadelphia teams then? In passing, um, I will admit I, I don't, don't, I don't watch a ton of sports in my free time. I, I'll watch, I'd rather binge watch a TV show or watch a movie or do something. I mean, I get so much sports as part of my job. My daughter has become a big NBA fan. So I've enjoyed like watching the Cavs with her. I made sure that we got to a playoff game when LeBron was still there. So she could experience that. Um, she's a college football fan. So I like I like talking college sports with her, just like parents and kids, that kind of interaction. Yeah. But I, I, I don't all that often just sit down and watch a random sporting event. And I, there is not a team, even the Philly teams. I don't live and die with them anymore. I'm, intrigued by great performances like we all are so you know right if the clippers are playing the mavericks in round one of the bubble playoffs and i can watch Kawhi and paul george and luka Doncic and Kristen porzingis i'll do that but i i won't make a point to watch it and so it just you know sports kind of passed through my life but i love i love writing about the sports that i know the people that pay for my job i I like that interaction but the casual stuff i'm not as into as i used to be 
that's understandable when when you're uh, working so hard at, at writing uh, that that you would kind of take some time away from it uh, in your free time. That, that makes I, a lot I, of sense. I know a lot of sports writers. I mean, they just love everything. They absorb every part of it, and and maybe I should, but I don't want to. I don't want to lie. To like, I don't want to try to make it up. It's like I just don't. Yeah. I just. I just don't. And I think that's okay too, because I'm, I dive in. I mean, I would, I, I know more about Ohio state football, not more. I know as much about Ohio state football as anybody. A lot mm-hmm. of people, I don't know as much about the Browns as Mary Kay Cabot or Dan lobby, but I, I care about the Browns. I study the Browns. I, I throw myself into the Browns, but you know, I, I just, am not going to pay attention to like a random Jaguars giants game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And you brought up Ohio State, so let's let's move into Ohio State here and just talk about talk about the Big Ten canceling football at least for the fall, and I guess the the ramifications and what went down today. And I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts on on how you think some of this is going to play out and what what you think it's going to do for for the players uh, first of all. Uh, you know the guys like like Justin Fields and and guys who who this season is biggest for, uh, or, you know um, at least that's the estimation you know for for the casual fan is that it would have been a big season for for guys like that. I mean, it's obvious that there, especially at Ohio State, there are always so many guys on that team that play well during any given season and play themselves up the draft board that. You never know who it's going to be. Um, well, maybe you do, but a lot of the rest of us don't. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your your thoughts on how you think some of this may end up playing out. Yeah, I mean, the the thing I think is important to keep in mind is we had a, we had a call with Ryan Day on Wednesday that changed my view on a lot of this. He's going to push for a winter season for the Big Ten to play. He said an eight game schedule in January and February. I was not a huge fan of the spring football idea. I didn't really think it was doable. They're out on any trying to do anything else in the fall. but And people are still referring to this January, February thing as spring football, which is not. It's not the, the season of spring. It's winter. <laughs> yeah. So it's winter football. And I think that's doable. And I think it's maybe possible. Ryan Day certainly would want to make it possible that some of these NFL prospects, Justin Fields among first among them, would maybe stick around because he thinks if the NFL moved back the draft, and that's a big deal for Cleveland because, of course, the draft is in Cleveland next year. But if they maybe move that back by a month, if they did play in January and February, you move back to combine a little bit, you move back mm-hmm. the draft. It's doable. I think that is something that college football fans, Big Ten fans, Ohio State fans should keep in mind and stay focused on. I don't want to give people false hope, but I don't think it's impossible. But if they don't play, if, if none of these guys play again, Justin Fields will be fine. He's shown it. He's a top five pick. I think he's the real deal. Um, you know, Wyatt Davis at guard, Sean Wade at cornerback. They've shown a lot. They'll be OK. But and they'll still be first round picks and they'll have enough film and they'll go to the combine whenever it is and show out. But there are guys, as you mentioned, at Ohio State every year who move up the board. I always mention a guy like Marshawn Lattimore from Cleveland had two years of hamstring injuries, was a one year starter was an All-American, was a top 15 NFL pick, and was a defensive rookie of the year for the Saints. Ohio State has guys like that a lot. So there are guys who really needed one more year to show what they could do. Baron Browning, at outside linebacker, is one of those guys. He needs another year to show what he can do. Maybe Chris Olave at receiver, who's been good, but I think could show 
showing another level. So I don't know. For guys like that, they're really going to have to figure it out. But for the top, top, top Ohio State guys, you know, Joe Burrow mentioned on Twitter that if this, this had happened to him a year ago at LSU, he never would have been the number one pick. But he didn't. He wasn't close to showing what he was. In, in year two at LSU, he right. was a different guy. Justin yeah. Fields showed so much last year. I think he'll be okay. And I think whether he takes another college snap again, he's a top five pick. So what's your what's your feeling as far as what's best for these players right now? Um, you know, to as far as where they should be. Ohio State players, like given that they already canceled, or do I think they shouldn't have canceled? At you all? know, I mean, given that they've canceled the fall, I mean, are, yeah. are these guys going to be at home, or or what are what's the what's the what's the plan? Well, I think for the few, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Day wants to try to get a January football proposal out quickly so he can get it in front. He wants the Big Ten to move so he can get it in front of guys like Justin Fields and say, don't leave. Don't mm-hmm. sign with an agent. Don't go home and start working out. Look, this is what we're going to do. Stay okay. for this and you can still do draft prep. Now, the elite, elite dudes, Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, Justin Fields, it might be best regardless for them to go home sign with an agent, go to their private coaches and start working out for the draft. That that might be very possible because there's so much up in the air and just start your training now. Almost everybody else, it probably is best to stick around. You know, Ohio State's still planning to have classes. Ohio, the football program says, you know, you can have tutoring. We're going to have the meals. You're going to be able to work out in the football facility. There's going to be a lot of, you know, kind of normal activity happening around the football program, they just aren't going to be playing games. And they're not going to be practicing, but they're going to be able to work out and do the other things they do kind of in the offseason. So I think a lot of those guys will stay. You know, this is still college. And so just mm-hmm. to like, go home, um, you know, nobody's losing their scholarship. Nobody is going to be have their eligibility yanked away. So in a lot of ways, um, I think they'll stick around and, and have a somewhat normal life, which then begs the question, if they're sticking around and they're working out at the facility, then why aren't they just playing football games? And there is an answer right. to that, but I also have seen a lot of people sort of ask that question, and I understand at least asking the question. Yeah, so I don't think any of the other conferences have come out um, <laughs> leaning in any direction yet. I know they're all talking about this. Um, what's your thought as to, uh, to what's going to happen with the other Power Five conferences? So the Pac-12 has followed the Big Ten, and they've canceled as well for the fall. So it's okay. the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are out, and the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 have all said we're proceeding at this point. But all of them, their starts to the schedule. The Big Ten had planned to go first week of September. Uh, I know the SEC and the ACC aren't going more till middle or late September. So the issue is when do you start contact and full padded practices? That was the line that the Big Ten drew. They never let their teams get to full padded full contact practices, because that's where they think, is that going to be the spreading event for the virus? So the ACC and the SEC aren't there yet on the calendar. They're going to have to decide where they think things are, and are they going to allow that contact to happen? I thought the Big Ten would allow it, because then I think a week later, after you have a couple days of contact, and then you test, then you find out if the act of playing football spreads the virus. And we don't know that yet. We still don't know that. They've worked out. They've been in the weight room. They've been doing walkthroughs. They've been doing light practices. But being on top of each other, tackling, hitting, blocking without wearing masks, does that spread it? 
And if it does, then you're done. Yeah. But the yeah, Big Ten wouldn't even allow itself to get that far. So I don't think a, a lot of Ohio State fans so far are reacting negatively to the cancellation. I think under the assumption that the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 are going to play a normal football season in the fall. And I think that is far from a certainty. So we don't yeah. know what's going to happen. They're still trying, but I still think it's very possible that we that we reach a point either before the season starts or maybe shortly after the start of the season, if things go wrong, where everybody's canceled. And it turns out the Big Ten isn't really missing out on anything because nobody's playing college football this fall. Right, which which kind of gets us to the NFL and and what we really expect to happen this season. I've talked about it on on my podcast here with with some other people and what we really expect out of this season. I mean, we're 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 planning on seeing a full season, but in reality, it, we we have to expect we're going to see things like what we're seeing with with Major League Baseball, and you know, um, and that there will be some complications. So, uh, what do you think? What do you think the best hope is for the NFL at this point? And and I'm sure they're hoping for a 16 game season, full playoffs, and Super Bowl, and all this. But what do you think they're saying behind closed doors? I would imagine they want to get to a real postseason. And I think you have to be accepting of an idea where you might have to live in a world where some teams play 16 games, some play 15, some play 14. But you go by winning percentage or something where something goes wrong and it might not be quite it's not going to be as easy to make it up as it as it is in baseball. You can't play a double header mm-hmm. in, in the NFL. Yeah. Um, we talked about this on our Orange and Brown Talk podcast with that, that Mary Kay Cabot and Dan Lobby have five days a week. And, and when I was on with them on a day, I said, how many games do you think the Browns will end up playing in the regular season? They both said 16. Because, again, the comparison between college and the NFL, it feels like NFL is just next man up. You're positive. You have a positive COVID test. You're out. Who's next? So I think that attitude makes it different than college. I think the shared risk when you have professionals who are being paid, who are part of a union, who can collectively bargain and work together with the league to establish establish protocols. They establish rules around the opt out. College football can't do that. So there's Mm -hmm. things in place with liability you know i don't know that college football i think schools are worried they're going to get sued by players if if players get covid and the nfl has been able to work through that because you 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 work it out you come to an agreement you share the risk so i do think the nfl will be next man up but if a team team has 31 positive tests there's not 31 next men to be up right so are you sure that that's not going to happen at some point and that something's going to be delayed or somebody's going to only wind up playing 15 games instead of 16. I just am putting everything on hold because I don't know if playing football spreads the virus. Now, if nobody has it, there's nothing to spread, which is why the, the testing is so important and mm-hmm. why the idea of like, don't go out and get it and secretly do stuff like, like Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesak did with the Indians. And then not tell anybody because that's when you put everybody at risk. But is the NFL going to go 100% on that? I mean, that's hard to imagine going 100%. The NBA in the bubble's done really well. But the NFL's not in a bubble. Baseball is not in a bubble. College football's not in a bubble. If you're not in a bubble, I have to think you assume some level of positive tests and some level of disruption. It's just a matter of is it, is it to such a level that instead of 
individual postponements, you get to an across-the-board cancellation. Yeah, there's just so many more guys on a, on a football team, you know, than than well, even even than baseball. Um, that I, I just worry about there being an exposure to a team and a team feeling like they have to quarantine, and and what happens, you know, if if that team, um, you know, I, I guess if they're testing everybody all the time uh, before games and everything, maybe they maybe they can figure out a way to to limit that. I just I just wonder if somebody has it and they play in a game, you know, and they find out afterward, then then you got two teams who have been exposed to this, and I, I just. I could see that as a mess, but I, I guess it's up to the NFL to to find a, a way around things like that happening. And I understand trying. I mean, I really do. If you could, if you as an organization and as the players, and, and like as a league, if everybody can come together and agree on the parameters of trying, and agree on uniform, user who don't want to risk it. Then I then I think it's okay to try, but I don't know that any of us can say we know for sure what's going to happen because all it takes is one guy who slips up a little bit, does have the virus, maybe isn't showing symptoms, maybe even has a negative test at the moment when uh-huh. he's actually positive, and then if he gets in there for a practice or a game, does he give it to twenty five guys? Yeah. Right. That that's yeah. the thing. And, and and I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not going to pretend I just I'm, I'm aggravated the in the moment dealing with the college football stuff. I'm aggravated in the moment by people who are so sure that canceling was wrong and by people who were so sure that canceling was right. You know, I yeah. just the certainty that some people have around this when they aren't doctors, they aren't scientists, they aren't medical experts. They're just sports writers or sports fans. If you're certain about it, I think you're wrong immediately, no matter what side you're on. Because mm-hmm. I just don't think we know, especially with football, because football still, we're still in a little bit of unknown territory because we don't have guys out there blocking each other and tackling each other. And we just have to see what happens. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. I, the the conclusion we came to, it, it was a week or two ago we were talking about this, and I think most of us, uh, I think three of us were talking, and I think we all kind of agreed that if if the NFL got to where every team played, you know, um, if everybody was able to play even 10 or 12 games and then they went to some kind of a playoff format after that, that it would it would be a pretty successful season under the circumstances. So I don't I don't know if they'll get to 16. I guess we'll just we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It's it's really hard to know what's going to happen. Uh, for me, it's just all of the all of the people. There there's so many people on a you know there's so many coaches and staff and 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 so many players in the NFL. Uh, it's it's going to be. It seems to me that it would be harder to control and test everybody and make sure you're not missing something, especially with all the just look at what we've seen in baseball with with guys getting a negative test on a positive test and a negative test. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really hard to to know what you're looking at. And even like Matthew Stafford with the Lions getting a positive test that turned out to be a false positive. But yet he was he was quarantined for a while. Right. I mean, that's the thing that yeah. is so hard about sports. In the world, we're worried only about health. We don't want people to get it. And if they get it, we want them 
to be treated quickly and not have severe consequences. But in sports, there's a health issue and there's a competitive balance issue. So if the Kansas City Chiefs are playing and their backup left guard tests positive and Patrick Mahomes was around him and Patrick Mahomes has to quarantine for 14 days, maybe Patrick Mahomes doesn't have it, but that's a competitive balance issue if the Chiefs aren't with their best player in the league for two yeah. weeks. And then what if three weeks later he has a false positive and he has to quarantine? You know, it's that competitive balance that, you know, people are – there's probably going to be complaints. There's probably going to be quote unfairness about some of this, but um, mm. you know, that exists anyway. Guys get hurt. Miles Garrett got suspended for six games last year and it killed the Browns. You know, there's a lot of stuff yeah. that does happen, but COVID is just next level on that kind of thing. And it's, and it's not only about having guys avoid getting it. It's, it's, it's about guys avoiding having to quarantine or having to miss time, even if they're not sick, because it's going to throw off the competitive balance. Yeah, definitely. So looking at the Browns this season, for me, it's we're looking at the Browns and the roster and the new coach and the new GM and putting this all together. But then we're also looking at the current situation with COVID and how many games are going to be played and, and the hoops that guys have to jump through. So what what's your thought as to how people will perceive this season if there are if there are a lot of things that kind of uh, impact the various teams um, because of COVID if if guys are going in and out if games are getting canceled um, is that going is that going to affect the way that people look at Stefanski and Barry and the record that the Browns end up having. I do think, I mean, I think if things go wrong for the Browns, right? And I think this particularly relates to Baker Mayfield. Every time I've talked to anybody about anything, it seems like a popular opinion this offseason is, is like, is this a make or break year for Baker Mayfield? And if he's yeah. not really good this year, do they have to start thinking about whether they want to sign him to the next big deal? Or do they maybe want to look at Case Keenum? Or is it going to be a competition? And I'm just like, I don't think it's a make or break year at all. I think Baker's my guy in 2021 if they go 0-16. It's like, what are you doing? you got to give it a, a number one pick in the draft, at least until year four, plus he has a first-year coach, plus the world's on fire. So, uh, you know, yeah. like, if <laughs> if things go wrong, then every excuse in the world is built in, and they're legitimate. If they're bad, Kevin Stefanski's not getting fired after one year like Freddie Kitchens did. If they're right. bad, Andrew Barry's not on a short leash. He's not going to be out the door like so many GMs before him. And mm -hmm. Baker Mayfield's not going So it's built in, right? I mean, there, there's been expectations for the Browns at various times that have fallen short, but the excuses are there. You can pluck them off a tree like a ripe little peach if things go wrong. But yeah. on the other side, I will tell Browns fans, there's no such thing as a cheap win. There's no such thing as a cheap playoff appearance. You know, if, if the right. Browns are good and it's like, well... You know, Lamar Jackson had COVID that one time. Well, you know, TJ, I don't care. The Browns make the playoffs. The Browns make the playoffs. It's, a re it's the world. You can't control it. Do the best you can. So then I would not, not want to get in big debates with people about, well, the Browns made the playoffs, but there's no but on a Browns playoff season. There's no but on Kevin Stefanski having a good first year or Baker Mayfield looking like the man or Miles Garrett looking like 
He's one of the best defensive players in the NFL. So that's a great spot for Browns fans. If it goes bad, here are your excuses. And if it goes well, I accept no buts. Just accept (laughs) the success. That's right. And I've been saying the same thing about Baker because a lot of people are like, well, you know, they're thinking that Case Keenum's going to be in there if Baker does poorly. I'm like, are you seriously considering putting Case Keenum in in like week three or four if Baker's throwing a couple of interceptions? Bonkers. Yeah, that that's nuts. And Baker's had what? Uh, what is this? His fourth head coach and five offensive coordinators. Um, you know, I hate to even keep count. It's uh, something like that. Give, give the guy a chance for some stability. Let him play. Um, unless he looks like he just doesn't even know how to play football this season, I'm taking him into next season. Yeah. It, it just I mean, doesn't look, make this sense is otherwise. What, this, is what, this is part of what you get with the number one pick. You get the idea that he doesn't have to be looking over his shoulders. You, yeah. you get the faith in him. And the Browns haven't had that. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. Brandon Whedon and Johnny Manziel and, and, and Brady Quinn and Colt McCoy and every other guy they drafted fairly high at quarterback, they never drafted them high enough to believe in them no matter what. And the result of that is as soon as they don't look good, you're done. But even Mitch Trubisky in Chicago, he got the full year three, and, and he mm-hmm. has had some real issues. And so finally in year four, they have competition. Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. Marcus Mariota got into year five, I think, before they really started, before Ryan Tannehill took over. Jameis Winston, yeah. they gave a full five years before they booted him. This is mm-hmm. this is the beginning of Baker's third year. If you are ready to bail on Baker, you are the type of person who 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 is so demanding and and need needing of instantaneous satisfaction, man, you're not going to be happy in life. You've got to give this guy a chance and rod it's all the stuff you just said all the the changes that he's gone through and he has shown it. it's not like he's never shown it i mean if you're it's uh, look at the jersey right look at the quarterback jersey and the list we've yeah. paused the list on a dude so if you were sick of that jersey with 25 names of quarterbacks on it and now you're ready to bail on baker mayfield in the middle of year three you don't get it you don't get it at all and if that's your attitude you don't deserve good quarterbacks So good luck with whoever's next if you're ready to bail on Baker. And I just keep telling people he's he's the first Browns quarterback to go back to back 20 touchdown passing seasons, uh, 20 touchdown passes since I think I think Brian Sype. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what are you looking for? We haven't had anybody. He's not Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry. He's not Patrick Mahomes. So so what? Benjamin week four. That's the standard. If you're not Patrick Mahomes, you get two and a half years. That's drunk. Yeah, I agree 100. percent So, so uh, how how good is Nick Chubb, and how much is this offensive line in this in this uh, in this new um, offense under Stefanski going to help him? I think we're all really excited because I think we know how good he is, but. Um, what kind of numbers, uh, how much are the Browns going to rely on him? And what, what kind of split do you see between between uh, Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 and I joked about it. I joked about it last offseason. And aren't we all like still like a little gun shy because we feel like we're saying a lot of the same stuff we said a year ago. And it didn't really work out last year. But that really doesn't mean you should be gun shy. But right. I 
love talking about like too many good players, right? It's like, well, what are they going to do? Yeah. Well, they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but are they going to throw to Odell enough? Well, what about Austin Hooper? Well, what? I mean, really, it's one of those things that I'm super curious about it because I think probably, I mean, it's a good thing to help Kareem Hunt take some of the load off Nick Chubb. And then maybe Nick Chubb in week 14, 15, and 16 is going to be feeling really, really good because maybe he only got 70% of the carries and Kareem Hunt got 30%, right? We know last year, obviously, when Hunt came in that, you know, you take a little bit away from Chubb, but, but it maybe makes everybody better. So I'm honestly... I'm not worried about this, but I mean, I'm intrigued by, it. I think it's possible they run too much. I mean, I know that, that the, the Vikings ran a lot and I know that this wide zone and Stefanski plan and the money they put in the offensive line and the talent of Chubb and Hunt, uh, you know, I get it. I just don't know that anybody runs their way to a Super Bowl, right. In the modern era. So right. I don't, I, there's almost, almost, and it's just talk. It's just off season chatter, but I'm just sort of like, that's great. I love it. Wonderful. But I don't think the run game is make or break what's going to decide how good the Browns are. It is a great compliment. It is a great thing to make defenses focus on to open things up for Baker. But I still think, you know, it's the modern NFL. You got to throw. You got to stop the passing game. And as good as Nick Chubb is. You know, that off and he's great. I mean, I don't know. There's not what's the point of even debating that Nick Chubb's awesome. Yeah. The investment in the offensive line is great, but I still think in the end, you know, Baker's got to make throws to to Jarvis and, and Odell Beckham and Austin Hooper and David Njoku and Kareem Hunt when he's playing receiver. He's got to make those throws. And then Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon have to get after the passer and Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams have to shut it down. And that's what's really going to decide how good they are. I think the run game will be there. But I don't think there's I just don't think in the way the NFL works anymore that there's there's a good enough run game that can make up for it if the pass game's not there. Now, the Titans are close, I guess. Right. I mean, nobody thinks Ryan Tannehill is is Dan Marino uh, and Derrick Henry was awesome in the playoffs last year. But I think that's a little yeah. exception, more the exception to the rule. And I just don't want people to think that like Nick Chubb is going to rush the Browns to the AFC championship game, because I think I think there's. There's, he could run for 3,000 yards, and that still wouldn't be enough to get him there. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think I think you can win some some games with the run. I mean, if, if you go back to last season, like that Ravens game, Nick Chubb was huge and kind of helped put that game away. But I know what you're saying. You're not going to win every game that way. Yeah. You, you have to have your passing game. So who do you think gets more targets? The Browns, uh, the Browns uh, wide receiver three, we'll say Higgins or whoever that might happen to be, or Kareem Hunt when he split out as wide receiver? Yeah, I, th- I think maybe Hunt. Um, you know, I, I, I know, and again, I, you know, I, I, so a lot of my knowledge I still absorb on the Browns from, from Dan and Mary Kay, and I know they've been talking about the idea just uh, – where exactly are the Browns with Higgins? Like, do they do they love him? Do they kind of yeah. bring him back because it was cheap and he has a good relationship with Baker and all that kind of stuff? But um, I mean, I think the 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 options that Kareem Hunt gives you, I think you throw it to him when he's lined up in the backfield. You throw it to him. You split him out as a third receiver. You throw it to him. You use him as a yeah. little H back wrinkle yeah. and you throw it to him. 
And then, I mean, I, I, I'm just fascinated. I mean, and I love thinking about stuff like this, but it's like if you had to project the number of catches for everybody, you know, is there is there third? Who's going to have the third most catches on the team? If you assume Jarvis and Odell are one and two, is it Hooper? Is it Hunt? Is it how does Higgins work in? How much do they throw to Chubb? You know, is Njoku? Like, I just am fascinated the distribution of passes. Um, yeah. Because again, the other thing people have loved to talk about all offseason, and you know it better than I do, is is how much Kevin Stefanski and Baker, ba- Baker Mayfield both love tight ends. So that mm-hmm. would lead me away, I think, from Higgins or like a traditional third receiver. Because how much is that guy going to be out there when A, you're going to go 12 personnel a lot, and B, you know, Kareem Hunt's going to be out there as a as a third ish receiver. Who knows where he's going to line up? I just think he's going to be on the field a lot. Right. Yeah, my way of thinking, I would say Hooper would be third. I think Kareem Hunt will be fourth, and those two could be really close. I think I and, think that I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think your your wide receiver three. See, I I don't know what they're going to do at wide receiver three. You don't you don't know if Higgins is going to get that spot, and you really don't even know how often they're going to have a wide receiver three on the field. Yeah. Uh, you know, or if they're going to rotate guys and give them a chance to be out there. Uh, to to make plays, uh, but you know I think wide receiver three and and then Joku are probably gonna you know kind of gonna get what's left. No, I think I think that's true, and it, and it is complicated. I mean, it really is, and I think you as you've got to let it. It's this this the very difficult balance I think between letting things flow, letting it be natural, what what the defense gives you, what happens just in the course of the game, but also like you've got to get the ball to Odell enough. You have to. So you have to get Odell Beckham the ball, but you can't force Odell Beckham Jr. the ball, right? Mm-hmm. That's nuts, right. but you have to be able to have both those things be true. And I said, I think I felt like last year, when you look at the end, when you look at the number of targets for Odell and that kind of thing, and even red zone targets, I don't think it was horrendous that he, you know, he, he got the ball kind of a lot, but I, I simultaneously felt through much of the season that A, they were forcing it to him. And B, they weren't getting it to him enough. And how can you feel that both those things at the same time? But sometimes <laughs> I felt that. And so this year, yeah. I'd like to feel I'd like to feel neither of those at the same time. They're not forcing it, you know, but also they're not ignoring him. So, I mean, it's a very fine line to walk. They just have to let it happen. But they have a lot of mouths to feed. But again, what a good problem to have. Hashtag too many good players. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think uh, Odell seems to be pretty hungry this year, and hopefully he'll feel a little bit better out there after, uh, you know, because he won't be uh, hurting from the the injury that he had last season. Of course, you know, these guys get banged up all the time. But, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully it can be what would be a, a bounce back season for Odell, even though he had a thousand yards last season. Yeah, uh, it'd be nice. Nice to see him get in the end zone uh, more often. That'd be yeah. pretty cool. So yeah. what what's your thoughts? Uh, what's your thought on the on the secondary? It's it's very young. I, I think uh, I think the Browns' defensive line is is a strength, especially with Miles. But uh, you know the linebackers are questions, and then uh, and then the secondary they have some nice players, but they're young. Yeah, pretty pretty young guys. So. Uh, what do you think is going to happen there? Um, do you think that's, do you really think that's a weakness now, or do you think these guys can play? Um, do you, how much do you think the the defensive line is going to help them out? 
I mean, when you spent the number four pick in the draft on a shutdown corner, uh, you know, he's got to play like that. Denzel Ward has to play. And as we mentioned, I said before, Marshawn Lattimore, rookie year out of Ohio State, defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. You know, Mm -hmm. Denzel has been good. Um, I, I would love for Denzel to be great. And I think, you know, it's not to make excuses, but to have Greedy Williams and Denzel both be out at times last year. And you could feel that a little bit early on that those are two young guys. They got to find a way to keep them healthy Um, and you throw Terrence Mitchell in the mix. And then, like, I I think they've got to be okay at corner. That's that's pretty good. That's an investment. Right. That's your number four pick in the draft. And then it's the guy that, you know, the year they traded the, the pick for Odell. You know, greedy is your first pick that year. So that's an investment. That's an investment of capital in that mm-hmm. position. And they're young. They've got to be good. And yeah. then I think, you know, Grant Delpit feels like does does Grant Delpit fall in your lap because he had a little bit of a not quite as good last year in college. But if he'd come out the year before, he would have been a top 15 pick. And does he fit exactly what you want in the NFL as a box safety, as a guy who can hit, as a guy who can cover in the slot? Like, does that is that just one of those things where the the exact right guy to kind of pull your secondary together falls right to you? Maybe. And then I think the one thing that, that, that fans are have to get used to on this when you're going to have superstars and, and you want these Browns to be superstars, you want Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward to be superstars who demand huge contracts. Mm-hmm. Then sometimes, you know, your safety is going to be veteran safety X who signed for a reasonable amount. And then the safety the next year is going to be veteran safety Y who signed for a reasonable amount because you're not going to be, you can't lock up 20 guys at the same time. So Carl Joseph, great. Maybe this is it. Come in, do your thing. And then maybe you're not here next year you have to find the spots, which is why I'm not worried about linebacker. You have to find the spots where you fill in competent player, who fits your salary cap situation. So like would I have liked Malcolm Jenkins or a guy like that, a little more high profile, a leader, that kind of thing. I was all in on the idea of Malcolm Jenkins with the Browns when the mm-hmm. Eagles let him go, but maybe Carl Joseph or some of these other guys and Deho back there, just whatever they're, they're a reasonable contract. They're a competent player. And that's enough because you got miles Garrett and you have Sheldon Richardson and you have Denzel Ward and that's where you're spending your money because that's how you win on defense. Yeah, and the Browns for such a long time have they haven't retained. I mean, other than some, you know, guys like Joe Thomas and, and Batonio and, and guys like this on the offensive line, they they haven't kept many guys around at all to see these long contracts and yeah. big contracts. They've just let these guys go, or or guys have kind of played their way out of town. So. It's really another one of those problems of having good players that you were talking about earlier. You know, it, if these guys turn into superstars and you have to try to find this money and you have to take guys that that are not the the cream of the crop or seen as the as the top player at that position, then you know what? It, I think we can live with that. You, you you can't you can't sign Miles Garrett to the contract you signed him to if you're paying two veteran safeties to hang out back there and make a bunch of money, you know? So like, you've got to, you've, there's got to be a give and take here. And, you know, 
a year ago, I think everybody was fired up about the idea of signing Demarius Randall and keeping him around. And what a great trade that was. You got him for Kaiser and John Dorsey's a de- genius. And like, here we are, yeah. Yeah. you know, but like, does anyone miss Demarius Randall or people moaning in the streets that he's not still a Brown? It's like, they're, they're okay without that guy. It didn't, it didn't really look the same last year. So, um, you have to identify who your core is going to be. You look at the Seattle Seahawks, which I think a lot of people have compared, you know, the Browns to over the years for various reasons. They had that legion of boom for a while, but but really, in the end, it's Russell Wilson on offense and Bobby Wagner on defense, and everybody else changes. So you've got to yeah. get used to that. So, you know, if it's going to be Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett, and then a lot of the other people are changing, then you have to get used to. Well, who's this guy? I don't exactly know, but he's some 28-year-old safety we signed to a one-year deal. Who's this guy? I don't exactly know. Well, we drafted him in the third round two years ago, but he's got to start. That's how you do it. And so it becomes, you know, if this is going to keep, if they're going to win and then keep winning, it's going to be like, how do you do it? Well, you do it with Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield, and Andrew Barry. And 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 this, who's the safety next year? It's the guy that Andrew Barry finds. Who's your linebacker? Because you don't want to, you know, you can't spend money on linebacker. It's the guy that Andrew Barry drafts. I don't know. It's guy X, but we've got Miles and Baker, and you've got to fill in the other pieces with competent guys that your GM has to find. Yeah, my brother and I have talked on this podcast about the fact that as as Cleveland Browns fans and for the organization, we're not trying to catch lightning in a bottle and hit the playoffs one year and maybe get lucky and try to make it to a Super Bowl. You're trying to build this thing to to become a consistent winner. That should be the goal. Yeah. And and what you're talking about is how you do that. And, you know, you're not just it's not uh, trade all your picks and take all these high draft picks and then go out and sign all the high price free agents you can one season and try you know, we're all in this season. And we don't know right. what's going to happen next season. <laughs> right. No. And this, I don't want to imply that like your starters are Baker and 10, 10 random dudes and miles and 10 random dudes. Cause Joe Thomas always said, and you do that middle class of the league matters a lot, right? You yeah. got to have some yeah. guys that you can re- rely on that are making medium money, but then you still need, I think two or three spots, maybe a year where you're kind of rotating guys through um, that you rely on the GM to go find those guys, either in the mid round of the draft or, or in the kind of the bargain bin in free agency. But you do need guys like JC Treader. You do need guys like maybe Larry Joby. You do need some guys that, that you maybe can rely on, but also aren't exactly getting Miles Garrett money. Um, so you do want some continuity. It makes me almost want to do a roster breakdown. What's the ideal roster breakdown of how many superstars you have, how many mid-tier sort of middle of the pack, consistent free agents that have been around for five or six years. And then Mm -hmm. how many other guys are just part of the churn. Right. But that's why they've got to get some consistency in the front office because you've got to, you've got to establish some kind of belief system that you can follow. And when you're constantly flipping it every two years, you never allow any of that to happen. But when you see it now, you know, you can see the guys that are going to be worth paying you can see some of these guys that maybe you're going to be worth keeping around in that middle class. And then maybe you hope you have a GM that you can believe in who can bring in good guys on the churn. Yeah, that that's the key is having the GM who who you trust enough to, to fill out those spots that you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, we've seen very positive things out of, out of uh, Andrew Barry. So 
Um, let's hope that continues in the future, and let's let's uh, hope that he's around for quite a long time. Um, yeah, yeah, because I, I like uh, pretty much everything he's done so far. <laughs> he has a plan, right? Yeah. I mean, process matters. You know how you go about it. Um, just even the stuff of and 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 I understand it's like if you know like Jadavion Clowney, it's like well you know how much does he. If they have a number on him, well, we'll pay this. But if he wants this, we're not paying it. Mm-hmm. If you have a process and a structure and parameters and you stick to them and you're allowed, you're allowed some time to let things work out, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to bat a thousand. But I think you're going you're gonna to hit more than you miss if you're allowed to let your process work itself out. And that includes saying... This is how much we're willing to pay at this position. This is how much we're willing to stretch for a certain type of guy, but we can't go any further because if we do, then we want to sign this other guy in the next year. We can't. So I know friends sometimes get, get frustrated, like, well, if they only would have done this, they could have gotten this guy. And it's like, but but if you abandon your principles to do that pretty soon, I think you're going to be lost. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So let, let's assume that there is minimum impact this season due to COVID somehow. <laughs> and we Fingers see crossed. A, yeah, and we see a sixteen game season where, you know, some guys miss games here and there just just like they do with injuries. Um, what kind of record are you would you kind of throw out there for the Browns? Nothing that anybody would hold you to, but what would you expect out of this team? Yeah, I mean, I was singing 12 and 4 last year for many, many months in the offseason, literally singing 12 and 4. <laughs> so um, I don't think I'll go 12 and 4, but I, I just I just don't know what wh- you would look at this and say, why aren't they a winning team? Like, why, mm. why aren't they? And I think last year, even as I sang 12 and 4, it was like 12 and 4. I hope the offensive line doesn't kill them. And then I just felt, I, and, and I think everybody saw that the offensive line was an issue to varying degrees, but I just feel like still, and, and maybe it's just in my own head, I, I, Baker hasn't necessarily said it, I feel like some degree of Baker's alleged, you know, perceptual regression was based on him not believing in his offensive line. And that if you don't know if your tackles are going to protect you, even if they might be doing it, it gets in your head, and if you think he had some happy feet or he didn't stand as tall in the pocket or he missed some throws, mm-hmm. I just think that seeped in somehow. So then you sign the best tackle, right tackle in the market, and draft a left tackle at number 10. It's like, well, that's going – that's addressing your problem, right? Yeah. So yeah. if like you – I feel like that was the thing that screwed him up the most last year. So then if everything else, missing miles for six games, devastating. Complain, completely changed the course of the season. Yeah. Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams hurt early. Problem. Problem. Would have helped them to have Denzel on the field for 16 games, right? So um, yeah. I think Olivier Vernon, out. He can be better this year. He missed some games last year. That hurt. You're spending that much money on a guy, and he's not out there every snap. I know injuries are part of the deal, but I just felt like the the bad luck hit him a couple different ways. And by the way, you have Kareem Hunt for a whole season instead of half a season. So, yeah. so like, tell me why they're not good. And And – Plus, instead of being maybe a little full of themselves, and I didn't have a problem with it last offseason, I loved the confidence. God forbid a Cleveland team believe in itself. I loved it. <laughs> didn't work out, but I like I'm 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 for Cleveland confidence. 
So they're probably humbled a little bit. They're humbled. They're hungry, whatever. Tell me why they're not a winning team. I don't know what the argument for they're not going to win is other than they have a first year coach and it's COVID. Well, everybody has to deal with COVID and it's Cleveland. Well, I don't buy that. There's none of the it's Cleveland stuff that I ever buy. So I guess I would say 10 and six in the playoffs and, 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 and I'll be wrong. Let me be wrong in the end. But I just I just don't know what the rational football argument is for the Browns won't be good. I, I, I don't it doesn't football wise. It doesn't make sense to me because every most every team has holes somewhere. So I get it. Maybe the linebackers are, are young or inexperienced or I don't know. But their skill guys sure are good. And Baker seems, you know, gets back to form and the other guys stay on the field. Man, they got a lot of good players. So I guess I'll say 10 and six for now. Yeah, I think if the if the defense can hold up its end of the bargain and you know and, and get some stops, I, the offense should be able to put up you know some pretty good points this season. So I think it's going to lie with the defense and and how well they come together and the the youth of the linebackers and and the and the secondary. And if those guys can play, then then I, I agree. I, mean, I think I said nine and seven uh, when we threw records out a week or two ago on the podcast. So, um, just because I'll be happy with a winning record. <laughs> yeah. Anything I mean, it's winning. hard. It's hard because they're still progressing towards something, but again, and we've all talked about it for five years. It's like, you have the quarterback window, right? You've got the window with Baker. If you have a young franchise quarterback before he gets to his second contract, it gives you more cap flexibility. You can spend some money. I don't, you know, when Baker, if Baker is good and Baker gets a big second deal, then I don't know if you can pay Olivier Vernon as much as he's getting to do what he's doing. I don't know if you can pay Sheldon Richardson as much as he's getting to do what he's doing. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you've got to save some money elsewhere. So this is the window. Like at some point you're not young anymore because it's winning time. You know, the Eagles, even though Carson Wentz didn't play in the playoffs, they got their they got their Super Bowl in the window, right? The Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes is gonna, probably going to play in 10 Super Bowls. But, man, they got it in the window when he's still on, on the cheap end before he signed the biggest contract in the history of the world. So this is as much as it's like it's a first-year coach, it's a crazy time, they're still building to something. Like, it's also winning time. Like, this is it. This is how the yeah. league works. And so, you know, I, like, I, I, I don't think you can um, – I just have a hard time talking window with the Browns record over the last several seasons, yeah, but right? I, is, I agree but like, with you and I, I know what you're saying. But like you said, and it's not about letting in a bottle, it's about building it consistently and keeping it going. But, but man, I mean, if you're, if you're going to say is Baker Mayfield going to win a playoff game as a Browns quarterback, it's like, well, I sure hope he does. Well, it's like, is, could it be that this year is one of his better chances to do it because he'll get better as a player, but is he going to have an Odell Beckham his whole career? You know, he has Miles Garrett. Is he going to have Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward on defense the whole career? Is he going to have a line this good, being yeah. paid this much money his whole career? That Treader and Batonio and and Conklin are all making good cash plus a first round pick. I mean, there's a lot in place to do it now. So again, but Rod, I would say right. I mean, part of your hesitation is that they're the Browns, right? The history, the, the all well, the times that there's been a hope little bit, yeah, falling apart. So I get that because every time you think they're going to be good then they're not as good as you think. But just football, straight football, take their uniforms off and analyze the roster. I don't know. I think they're pretty good. But I know also know you can't do that. And you probably shouldn't do it. But football, just straight football, I just think they have a lot of good pieces. 
Well, I'm, I'm always an optimist, Doug, but to, to me, I think probably more of my hesitation is the fact that they're that they're kind of starting over again with a head coach and new players and new, you know, new playbooks and everything. And I and especially the way things have been um, to where they they're not going to get the preseason games and, yeah. and as many practices and this. I don't know if there's going to if it's going to take them longer to come together as a team. So I don't know how these first few games are going to look. If they come yeah, together no, quickly, then you know, then then um, it'll certainly help. But you know, they might not look so good the first game or two. I mean, everybody's <laughs> dealing with COVID, but I would imagine any team with a first-year head coach is is dealing with it more. And I think that's a that's a smart, fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I uh, I can't let you go without talking a little bit of writing. Sure. So. Um, we have uh, probably a lot of people listen to this podcast who who write for for different Twitter websites. Um, not just me, but other people. So um, I wanted to hear a little bit about. I assume you have a degree in journalism. I do. Put your degrees in, and yeah. I just kind of wanted to hear a little bit about how you got your first break. First. Yeah, I'm old enough to have like come up through the system of how it used to work, which is like, I went to college, I got a journalism degree and I got a job at a kind of smaller suburban paper um, Mm -hmm. out of college. And I worked there for two and a half years. And then I moved up to a larger paper, not a huge paper, but like a step up. And I worked there for eight years. And then I got a job at the plane dealer at a big city paper in my third job. And like, that's how it used to work. There were enough newspapers in the world that you kind of just like worked your way up, like through the minor leagues, trying to get to the majors. And I, you know, the Cleveland plain dealer, plain, plain dealer, and now cleveland.com was the majors for me. And like, I, it's just not that way anymore. I, I mean, people who are, I mean, like there, I can remember when I was, you know, working at my second job and like starting a blog and being like, well, they want you to blog. It's like, well, what's a blog? I mean, it's insane. It makes me feel like I was, you know, riding in a in a horse and buggy on the way to work. So, I mean, it's just such a different world. It's just it's not that um, I mean, like the way I got my break is like just it's just like of a different time. I mean, it's just like not relevant to the world because the, the, the place where I got my first break probably isn't even hiring, probably hasn't hired a sports writer in five years, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just a, such a tough, different world that that I'm amazed by the people who do um, put in the time and put in the effort and make their own breaks. I didn't have to make my own break. I got a journalism degree and I interviewed for a job and I got it. And my break was handed to me. It wasn't even a break. I mean, I just I just did a job interview and I got hired for a job. So, I mean, I there are people out there doing it now who are making making breaks that I never had to make. And so I, I admire the people who do that. I respect that. And I, I just understand that while in a lot of ways there's more opportunity, um, it's much more difficult to chart a path because there's no, I had a pretty straight path and that that path almost doesn't exist anymore. And there's a lot of different winding paths that people can take now, but I just understand. I mean, it's sometimes it's harder to go on a winding path than a straight one. Yeah, yeah. You can say that, but you still had to you still had to work. <laughs> and obviously, if you weren't really good at what you did, you wouldn't have kept moving up. So 
Um, well, who knows? So yeah, you got to where you are for a reason. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, um, you know, I, my wife uh, was also in journalism, and so she was a better journalist than I was. So our first job, uh, we got hired together. And it was sort of like, well, we want to hire her. And she was like, well, I'm, I'm marrying this guy. You kind of got to take him. So that's why I got my first job. And then my second job, I flew out and interviewed. I mentioned her and they said, ooh, let's bring her out. And they flew her out like two weeks later. And like they were like, we definitely want her. And it was like, well, she's not coming without that guy. And I was like, all right, I guess we'll hire that guy too. <laughs> so Mary Well, Mary Well is so my that's other suggestion to people. Bit of advice. Yes. Okay. I was going to ask you any advice for young writers, because I get a lot of people contacting me about, you know, wanting to, you know, either wanting me to look at something they've written. And I'm not I'm not going to compare myself to you as a writer because I don't want to embarrass myself, Doug. But um, anyways, uh, you know, just kind of looking for how to get into it. Um, just a lot of people want to write about sports. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing about all these different websites and that is it gives a lot of people an opportunity to express themselves and, you know, to do something that they want to do. Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities out there to do it. it not, at, not at your level, but it gives them a chance to kind of get their thoughts out there and, and people will read it. So I think it's kind of a cool thing that's going on now. No, I think it's great. Again, I mean, it's, it's difficult, but there is, there's just, there are chances for more people and that's a great thing. And so, um, you know, I think you've, you've got to be, I think you make your own breaks, right? I mean, you're talking about how do you get a break? I mean, I always tell, I, I've met with a lot of young journalists over the year, and I always say, you know, don't just apply for a job, go make a job, go tell a company and go find them and tell them why they're not doing something that they should be doing. And you're the person who should be doing it, mm-hmm. you know, um, for, for, you know, whether you write for a team website or whether you write for an organization that's affiliated with sports that, that isn't really thinking about covering sports, but you're going to go tell them why it'll be profitable for their business. I mean, I've said things to people. It's like, go find a sports bar and tell them why they should have a sports blog where you write stories for them and get paid. And it draws attention to their sports bar because your awesome, cool, fun stories are on there. Right. I mean, just like stuff like that, which sounds crazy, but you know, there there weren't team websites, right? Like right for the team. It's like, that's a very, that's a great way to get into stuff now. So I just go, go tell somebody that isn't advertising a job that you have, you're the guy that should be hired for the job. They didn't even know they needed to hire for. So I just think there's a lot of stuff like that. And then whenever you're doing it, you've got to be confident, right? I mean, you've Mm -hmm. got to write and believe that you're the best writer out there and you know more than anybody else. That doesn't mean taking shots at people. That doesn't mean being outrageous, but that means having an opinion, doing your research, and, and being confident in it and tell somebody something tell I always talk about like the here's the deal style of writing. Right. Just tell them what's up and tell them why. And then I think you have to cultivate your audience. And this is like what we do with our tech subscription at Cleveland.com. It's like I I'm getting to know these people. So yeah. try to make your writing a two way street. And I do think, you know, f- for lack of a better word, and I don't even know that this applies anymore, but like, quote, mainstream media versus, you know, the digital media. And I and Cleveland.com is not really. It's a, so it's the plain dealer, but we're so digital oriented. We think more that way that you've got to connect to your audience. It's a great opportunity that if you're writing for a blog or you're writing for for a place that that you make it a two way street, you 
you encourage people to comment on your stories and you comment back to them. You ask them questions, you ask them for ideas and, and you create a, that it's not just writer to audience, it's audience back to writer. And you, you make that cir- circle that builds loyalty. It helps you be smarter. Um, and I think it helps you get ahead. And I think, I think journalism companies are realizing that, that you can't treat readers as customers. You've got to treat them more like friends. And then if they end up paying you some money, they'll feel much better about it. So, and I think a lot of websites are really, really good at that. And I think places like cleveland.com, we've learned from some of the quote, smaller sites or different sites that they were doing that long before we were. And at cleveland.com, we're catching up to that. But I think that's the next, that's really the wave right now. You've got to build an audience and connect with it and keep them with you because there's so many options out there. If they don't like you, they'll go, they'll go find somebody else. That's right. Yeah. And that's, I've kind of told some people to do that when I've had writers underneath me at some of the websites, I've kind of said, that's how you do it. When, you know, when you're, you ask people what they think and try to engage them on your writing yeah. Um, as for feedback, things like this, uh, it's, it definitely helps to build an audience. It, it gets people to to look at what you've written. Uh, you know, it shows that you're humble enough to want their opinion too. And uh, yeah, yeah, it definitely works. And my other piece of advice is start a podcast. People love podcasts. You know that. That's why we're doing this. That's right. Nobody ever tells me I'm dying to read your story, but people, people, when we put out a podcast, I'll get messages from people. When's the podcast coming out? And nobody, I've been doing this for 25 years. I can count on one hand in 25 years, the people who have come up to me and said, Hey, I love your writing, but people come up to me and say, Hey, Buckeye talk. Hey, I like the podcast. We're talking about that connection. There's no better way to naturally connect to people than by being in their ear, talking to them. So, I mean, if you're a writer, you've got to be able to do sort of this part of it as well. And there's mm-hmm. a million great Browns podcasts and Indians podcasts and Ohio State podcasts. There's, there are great sports podcasts all over Ohio, and they're all connecting to people. And it's, it's a lot easier. People are much more inclined to pop their, pop their uh, earbuds on or run, go walk around the block. Um, than they are to sit down at a computer and like read a whole long story. So if you're listening to this and you don't have a podcast yet, start it, even though Rod, it will be more competition for both of us. We welcome anybody (laughs) new to the podcast game. Well, I am going to say that I love your writing. I think I've actually tweeted that before, but um, my advice to people would be to, to read more of your articles to kind of get an idea of the perspective that you write with. Uh, to kind of to kind of give them, uh, you know, just I, I tell people if they want to be a better writer, read read good writers. <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. Learn from good writers. That's that's uh, you know, um, look at what they're doing that you're not doing, and not to copy good writers, but you know, um, try to pick things up as to the tone they write with, and and uh, you know, just things they write about, and and try to get get yourself into that type of frame of mind when you're writing versus where you may be now, which might be years behind where they are. Whenever I'm stuck writing, I, I have like the collection that they, there's the best sports writing in America. God, what's the actual name of it? I mean, it comes out every year. Um, they put out a, a, it's a series. They've been doing it for 25 years now, I think. 
um, best American sports writing. And mm-hmm. I'll just flip one open from a random year. They're all on my bookshelf and I'll just start reading a couple pages because there's okay. enough times when I'm writing and I think, my God, I forgot how to write. What am I doing? I don't know what the <laughs> next word should be. And then I read good writing and I think, oh yeah, I remember how to do this. Cause it, again, it's not stealing, but it's absorbing and appreciating. Yeah. And so yeah. I would, I would I'd encourage anyone to get those books on your shelves and, and let them wash over you. Right. And I'm glad that that happens to you because I have done that before. I've, <laughs> I'll sit down to write and it'll feel like I haven't written in 10 years. <laughs> the, I was just watching something the other day and someone said, um, I need five. I need, I like told someone I need, I need five hours to write. I need to sit down. I need five hours to write. And when you need five hours to write, it's four hours of getting yourself ready to write and one hour of writing. And I think anybody has written who has written understands that struggle of like, I've got to do this. What is wrong with me? And it just getting yourself in the right frame of mind um, to try to do your best work is definitely a struggle sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see, I don't, I don't deal with the deadlines you do. I pretty much write when I want and contribute when I want. So I yeah. usually come up with something I want to write about. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll come up with it and I'll think about it through the day and I'll kind of have it half of it written in my head or at least the ideas and then I'll sit down and then I don't have those four hours that I have to think about it. That's good. It usually comes out pretty quick. <laughs> That's good. That's more disciplined by you because if I didn't have a deadline, I might never write. If I didn't have a boss who was like, you know, we kind of were thinking you were going to write that story for tomorrow. Uh, I, I need deadlines to live by. So the fact that uh, you can motivate yourself is, uh, is an admirable quality for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Doug, this has been a lot of fun. Likewise. Yeah. So um, let's, let's give out your uh, every place where uh, people can find you once again. I, I'm going to let you do that this time on Twitter and any place else people can find your sure. stuff. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at, uh, at D O U G L E S M E R I S E S. That's Doug Maurice. It reads like Doug, Doug less me rises. Um, but if you really want to follow, I'd say subscribe to Buckeye talk. That's wherever you find podcasts. We're doing Ohio state podcast five days a week. Again, I hope to get my takes by the lake podcast up and running again. Uh, you can read me at cleveland.com and the thing that we're doing, we're doing it. We've been doing it for about a year and a half with all of our beats at cleveland.com. We have these tech subscriptions that are three ninety nine dollars a month. Uh, it's a 14 day free trial. It's kind of hard to explain to people, but most people who try it stick around and they like it. Um, it shows up in your phone. It's like I, I text stuff about Ohio state football and it pops in your phone. Like it's a text from a friend, Mary Kay and Dan and our, Ellis and Scott, our Browns team, they do the same thing on the Browns. So if you want to sign up for the Ohio State text for 14-day free trial, send a text to 614-350-3315. And if you like Ohio State football, you'll just get a taste of what it's like. And then, again, building that audience, Rod, we do a lot of stuff where we, we have our tech subscribers. We take questions for them. We talk about it on the podcast, and it creates uh-huh. a loop, a little family, a little Buckeye Talk family between our tech subscribers and the podcast. I know the Browns crew does the same thing. The Indians crew does the same thing. So um, if you're interested in that kind of thing, I would just encourage anybody to check out cleveland.com and our tech service and see what you think of it. Excellent. All right. Is there anything you'd like to leave the Browns fans with? Any words of encouragement or otherwise? 
I just and I and I said, just don't be afraid to love your team and don't let last year scare you off and don't let people make fun of you because you believed in the Browns because it's not fake. Just because it didn't work out last year doesn't mean it's not going to work out this year. This team finally has real talent. Um, I think people are maybe a little out over their skis on Kevin Stefanski because he's never done this before. And I feel like everyone's kind of already decided that he's a genius. But I'm just trying to be a little cautious on that. But I think when you go down the roster, this is a competitive NFL team. And I think for for much of the life of a lot of Browns fans, at least since they came back, that hasn't really been the case. That's that's the real deal. Just because they were six and ten last year doesn't mean this isn't a real NFL roster. So um, the offseason, I think, arguably sometimes is the best time to be a sports fan because nobody there's not a Sunday that might be a great Sunday, but it also might ruin your week if Sunday goes wrong. So don't get too unnecessarily nervous about stuff. Enjoy preseason. Keep your fingers crossed about COVID-19. Wear a mask and believe that this this Browns team really has a chance to make the playoffs this year. Excellent. Thanks so much, Doug. Thank you. I had a lot of fun. This has been the Browns Blitz, and we will catch you next time.